Those of you who have been tracking with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been in this teaching series called Dangerous Prayers, uh, Prayers That Change Us. And, um, and it's a short little series, but, but it's, it's a heavy hitter. Uh, I hope you've been feeling the weight of these prayers that we've been praying. In fact, it's just been so cool. I got to say, just hearing some of the feedback come from many of you every Sunday, I hear someone saying, hey, um, that man, that just wrecked me. You know, that wrecked me in all kinds of good ways. And, and it's just been so cool to hear how you've been processing through these different prayers. And some of the prayers that we've looked at thus far are prayers like, God, search me. Where, where we look at Psalm 139, where David prays, oh, search me, O God, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, right? Search me, O God. We, we looked at prayers like, God, break me. God, break me. Not, it, it's, it's not a, um, it's a strong prayer. It's a serious prayer. God, break me. And we discovered through Psalm 51, the words of David, that what God is actually looking for are people that would come to him in a state of utter brokenness, a broken and contrite spirit, oh God, you will not despise. And so we said, God, break me. God, break me. By the way, you ought to know, again, what makes these prayers dangerous is not the words that we use when we pray them. It's not the individual words that make the prayers dangerous. What makes these prayers dangerous is that God will always answer them when you pray them. We've been saying throughout the course of this series that if you pray these prayers with any level of sincerity, be warned, because God will answer them. And when he does, your life will change. Your life will change. God will rearrange the furniture of your life. He will rearrange your priorities, your perspectives, the things that you deem as important. God's going to shift some things around. When you pray your prayers like, God, search me, God, break me. These are not prayers for the faint of heart. They're not for the spiritual pansies in the room, okay? They, these are dangerous prayers that if you have the courage to pray them, God will do an inner work in your life where he will change you from the inside out to make you more and more formed into the image of Jesus. And if that's something that you want, if that's something that you desire here today, I'm glad you're here because we're going to close out this series this morning by looking at the third and final dangerous prayer here today, and that is God, use me. God, use me. Church, can we say that together here this morning? God, use me. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. And uh, if you've got a uh, Bible app, you can open that up. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, we'll get a Bible to you. If, you're, if you happen to be reading along with us in these hardback Bibles, we're on page 912. If you don't own a Bible, consider this our gift to you. You can have it, take it home with you, and uh, following along with us uh, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be looking here today. I want to look at this passage in Acts 4 that, that I believe is going to help us gain a better understanding of this prayer, God use me, and the implications of that prayer, God use me. But, but before we even understand the implications of this particular prayer, you got to understand the context of what's happening here in Acts 4. And so as you're finding your place in Acts 4, let me just fill you in on what's happening here so that you get a little bit of context. Earlier on in Acts chapter 4, two of Jesus' disciples, namely Peter and John. Peter and John were some of Jesus' closest buddies, his, his closest disciples. And Peter and John are arrested uh, by a group of religious and political leaders during this time. They're thrown into prison and they spend a night in jail. 
Now, for those of you who are familiar with this part of Scripture, you might follow and know what's happening here. But for those of you who uh, might not be as familiar, you might be wondering, what, why were they arrested? Well, simple answer is they were arrested because they were accused of preaching heresy. They were accused of going around spreading what, what these leaders of the time deemed as heretical false teachings. You know, it's interesting as you think about heresy, the cultural differences between uh, Peter and John's day and our day and age today. Uh, you know, today you come across fake news, modern day heresy, and you don't even bat an eye. It's, a, it's just like everywhere you look, there's some form of fake, fake news. That, that's why so many of us have a, grown accustomed to fact-checking things. And, and I know some of you fact-check me on Sundays. Like, is that real? That's a, Dan, know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know. But let me fact-check that. I know what I'm talking about. 98% of the time, okay, uh, the 2% by, by all means, fact check, we double check our sources. Why? Because there's fake news everywhere we look. There's fake news all around us. But you got to understand, heretical teachings and heresy, fake news, had carried a, a, a far more major serious implication back then as it does today. You see, during that time, many understood the message of Jesus you see, for those of you who grew up in the church, you, you don't even think about this because you're just like, this, this is the way it is. This is truth, like the teachings of Jesus, that it is what it is. But during that time, many understood the message of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, of his kingdom and, and his kingdom come to be one of heresy, complete false teaching. One group in particular were the Jewish leaders. You see, it, it, the, the problem with this teaching of Jesus spreading was as the teaching of Jesus spread, what the Jewish leaders began to find was that they were losing their power and influence in culture. They were losing their power and influence over their people because the fact is the Jewish leaders taught a very different message than the, than the message Jesus taught. Those of you who know the Gospels, you know that the message that Jesus brought was something that was fundamentally different, that, 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 that just rocked the boat of these Jewish leaders. Thousands of years of tradition, Jesus comes, and he starts rocking the boat. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've been taught, but I'm teaching you. He comes and rocks the boat, and so the religious leaders of this time begin to lose their position of power and authority amongst their people as the ministry and the teachings of Jesus rise. And because of that threat, they ultimately accuse Jesus himself of heresy, of being a heretic, which ultimately led him to the cross. Now, it's an overly simplistic way of looking at this, but I don't have time to unpack all of what went on there. But that's, that's one piece of it. But you, you ought to know, it wasn't just the Jewish leaders who had a problem with the spread of heresy. The, re the religious leaders had, had a problem, but also the social and political leaders of the time had a major issue. Because the possibility of a social and political revolution as the teachings of Jesus spread was incredibly high. You see, with this new teaching spreading like wildfire, that's what was happening. The teachings of Jesus were, were spreading like wildfire earlier on in the book of Acts. You see thousands, by the numbers of thousands, were coming to, to, to be saved and to give their lives over to what is called the way. In, in the New Testament, people identified the Christians as, as people of the way, the way of Christ, the way of God's kingdom, the way of this heretical teaching. And so with this rise of thousands and thousands of people following this so-called heresy, 
a political and, 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 and social insurrection was really high. And because of a revolution like that, what, what that would bring, the implications of that, would be a possible overthrowing of the Roman government entirely. And so because of all of this, the Jewish leaders and the Roman government were working together during this time to put an end to this whole Jesus movement. This Jesus movement that the disciples were now carrying forward in the book of Acts. Jesus has ascended into heaven. Alan mentioned it before, Acts 1.8. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be empowered by my spirit to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. And so that's what was happening. The teachings of Jesus, the impact of Jesus, the way was spreading wide and wide and wide. And with the spread of Jesus, the threat was increasing for these social, political, and religious leaders. But friends, how many of you know, if God is on the move, no political structure, no government, no religious order is going to stop the move of God. It's not. But there are these groups of people that are trying to stop this from happening. And so, they take Peter and John the two most prominent leaders at the time who were preaching in the name of Jesus, casting out demons, healing the sick, all in the name of Jesus and all of these things, and they throw them into prison. But after some interrogation, they found no reason to keep them imprisoned. And so ultimately, they're released, and they're released with a warning. They're told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Stop, stop following this way. Stop spreading this, this heretical teaching. Stop doing this. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they're let off with that warning. And this is where we pick up the story. In Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23, we pick back up on Peter and John's journey back to home and back to their disciple buddies. We'll put the text up here on the screen if you want to look along with us that way. If that's helpful to you, feel free to do that. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. When they were released, they went to their friends. Again, this is referring to Peter and John. They, they rejoined with the other disciples upon their release. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, which was, stop this. Stop all of this preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop spreading heresy. And when they heard it, the disciples, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now pause right there for a minute. You ought to know that this passage, if you see it, it's, it's, it's in quotations, and that's because this part of the passage is pulled right out of Old Testament scripture. Namely, Psalm chapter 2, David writes these words, and what the disciples are doing is they're recalling this Old Testament text as it relates to their present circumstance. In other words, they use David's words to describe their present reality, and they go on and say in verse 27, for truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, i.e. the religious leaders and the political powers of the time. They, they were all against your holy servant Jesus. Verse 28, 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. How many of you know God can use the Herods of your life to bring about good in your life? How many of you know God can use your Pontius Pilots to bring about his perfect plan in your life? Because once again, if God is on the move, there is nothing that's going to stop him. A couple of weeks back, we looked at the sovereignty of God. We talked about what, is, what does it mean that God is sovereign? What God is sovereign means is simply this. God is in control. He calls the shots, and there ain't nothing that's going to stop him. That's what, that's, that's what the disciples are recognizing. They're recalling and recognizing the sovereignty of God. Did you notice how the prayer opened? Oh, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. God, it's you who is sovereign over all of this. The disciples are recognizing the sovereignty of God in the midst of their pers- persecution. And out of that place, the disciples then pray. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Church, you want to know what the disciples were praying here in this moment? God, use us. God, use us. They pray this dangerous prayer. God, use us. Use me. Use me, continue to impart to me the ability to speak your word with all boldness, God, use me. And remember how I said these are dangerous prayers because God will always answer them. Look what happens next in the, in the very next verse, in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, there is so much I want to say on this passage here this morning, but for today, with a little bit of time that we have left, we're going to go to the communion table here at the end of our time and and take part in communion together as a church. But even before we get there, I want to talk to you real briefly on the subject of God using us. You see, through this passage, we see a few things that happen when God uses us. The first thing is this. When God uses us, our mission becomes clear. When God uses us, our mission becomes crystal clear. I want you to notice something in this passage. Did you notice that the first thing, they're just right off the bat, that Peter and John did upon their release was hold a prayer meeting. They got together with his disciple buddies and said, hey guys, let's get together. We got to pray right now. I got to tell you, I know like I'm like a professional Christian, like being a pastor and all this stuff, but that would not have been my first instinctual response. Just being real honest. I just got released from prison after being interrogated for preaching something that is not heresy, but what I have known to be true. I've seen with my own eyes and I know Jesus. I'm preaching his word. I'm unjustly thrown into prison. I'm, you know, I'm released now and all these things. I may have gathered together with my, my fellow disciples and I might have said, okay, boys, here's the deal. It's getting pretty dicey out there. I, I, I think it might do us some good to just cool it a little bit. Okay, just, just, just simmer down a little bit. There's no rush. I mean, 
Jesus said he's going to be with us until the end of the age, right? And so like the 11th hour, let's just go ham and just go preaching the gospel, right? Like, let's just go crazy that. But like for now, let's just lay low. I might have even said, you know what? What we're doing isn't really working. We need a different approach, okay? We, 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 we need to, we're just catching too much heat out there. We need to change course, guys. But that's not what they did. Why? Because when God uses us, our mission becomes clear we do not abort the mission rather we lean further and harder into the mission that god has for us because his mission becomes so undeniably clear look at what they prayed he prayed oh god grant to your servants to continue not change course not abort the mission but lord help us to continue on this mission to speak your word with all boldness friends they knew the early church knew what their mission was and friends i've got to ask you this morning do you know what your mission in life is if you don't have a sufficient adequate response to that question you will live your life in delusionment lost frustrated and constantly searching and yet never finding if you don't have a good grasp on what your mission, God-given mission is, I suggest you begin today. Now, for some of us, you might have a pretty good sense for what your mission in life is. But in case you're still searching and wondering, can I suggest to you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're sitting here today and you would raise your hand that says, yes, I identify myself as a Christian, but not just by name, but I have devoted my life to following after Jesus. Your mission is the same exact mission as the disciples. And it's the same mission that Jesus gave to them all the way back in Matthew chapter 28 that he, by extension, then gives to us. What does he say in Matthew chapter 28? Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, okay, guys, listen up. Go, and, go and, and begin to make disciples of all nations. So it doesn't matter whether you're here on the campus of Penn State or whether you're in Altoona, whether you're in Harrisburg, whether you're in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, wherever you are, the point is, wherever you are, go and start making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Friends, by the way, that's why we hold baptisms here at ACF. After every semester, we baptize a bunch of our friends who say, I want to go public with my faith. I want to declare in front of the church family that's saying, I have committed and devoted my life to following after the way. I'm one of Jesus' disciples. Why do we do that? Because Jesus gave us that mission baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you are interested in baptism, come talk to me. All right, we'll, we'll get you dunked. It's good. We'll, we'll talk about it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, preaching to them, showing them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, a lot of times we like to stop the passage there and we say, okay, Jesus, I got the mission, got, got it good, ready to rock and roll. But notice what Jesus says next. He doesn't end it there. In fact, notice what he doesn't say. He, he doesn't say, okay, now go and do all these things, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Okay, now, good luck. You're on your own. Godspeed. You know, like from here, I, I did my part. Did you see me on the cross? See the empty team? I did my part. Now, go. It's just, just add a boy. Pat on the back, smack on the butt. Now go on your way. Let's go. No, 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 no. What does he say? He says, 
and behold, in light of all of that, the task of the mission, the what of the mission, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission. When it comes to our mission, friends, it is so critically important that we understand the what is intimately tied to the who. The what of the mission is intimately tied to the who. Who gives the mission? In other words, to put it differently, let me just give it to you real simple. Our mission is to partner with God in what he is doing here on earth. The what is partnering with the who, the God of the universe, the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Our mission is to partner with God in what he is doing here on earth. And so friends, hear me loud and clear. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is your mission. This is what you were created for. This is what you have been put on this earth for. I love what Alan said. Look, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what degree you graduate with. It doesn't matter what your GPA looks like. Don't tell your parents I said that, but it doesn't matter what your, it doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't matter what what industry you are going to land in after you graduate from your four years here at Penn State. It doesn't matter what what field you're going to be working in or what career path you choose. It doesn't matter whether you're a school teacher, an engineer, an artist, a filmmaker, a stay-at-home parent, or a farm boy who works on a farm. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, your mission is to partner with God in what he is doing here on earth. And friends, how many of you know he is always at work? God is always up to something. He is always doing something. And he's looking for people who would say, here I am, use me. At your service, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. I'm here to be used by you. See, that's what happens when we pray prayers like this. God, use me. Our mission becomes so clear to partner with God in what he is doing here on earth. But not only that, number two, when God uses us, opposition becomes certain. Opposition becomes certain. Friends, do not be surprised if you face trials and hardships when you are being used by God. I, don't, I think some of us have this romanticized idea of, oh, if God is going to use me, life is going to be so good. If God uses me, it's just going to be a, a cakewalk, easy walk in the park because God's using me. It's not like I'm saying, devil, use me. It's like God. I'm in God's hands. He's, he's, he's you know, he, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the hammer and the nail, and he's using me to, for his kingdom purposes and all these things. But no, 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 no. You got to understand when God uses us, opposition becomes certain. I love, how, I love how the disciples approach the persecution that they're facing. First of all, they pray, right? But look at what they pray in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. It's like, really? That's weak, Peter. That's so weak. Look upon their threats. I mean, what uh, all that means, you gotta understand, you don't even need to know the Greek for this. All this means is acknowledge their threats, O oh Lord. Just see their threats. God, would you just give some attention to these threats here? Look upon their threats. You see, a lot of times when we face opposition of any kind or trials of any kind, our prayers are like, oh God, please make it stop. 
please, God, make it, take it away. Take away this hardship. Oh, God, I can't handle the situation anymore. Make it stop. Make it stop. Take it away. But no, these disciples simply simply pray, oh, Lord, just look upon their threats. As if to say, we are not surprised by these threats. In fact, if I can just use my, let's just use our Holy Spirit-inspired divine imagination for just a minute. I gotta wonder, I gotta wonder if Peter and John, upon being released from prison, right, they spent a night in prison, I just, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall on that, in that prison cell just to hear the conversation that went down between Peter and John. But, but furthermore, what do you think their conversation was like after they got released from prison and they're on their way home to rejoin with their disciple buddies after living out this mission on fire for God? I, I gotta imagine, I wonder, I just can't help but wonder if Peter and John are looking to themselves and they're like, hey, remember when Jesus told us that thing about like, you know, facing trials of many kind in this world, but he's like, don't lose heart, right? Because he's already overcome. I, like, is that, could it be that that's what he's talking about? Hey, John, remember when Jesus said that whole weird thing? I was kind of half listening when he was talking and saying this, but like, blessed are those who are, I think he said persecuted for righteousness sake, right? For What did he say? Like, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, is that maybe what this is? Is that what we're facing here? Or, or, or I don't know, Peter, hey, remember when Jesus said, like, hey, if the world hates you, it's okay because it hated me first. If the world persecutes you, it's okay because they persecuted me first. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, you don't need to turn there. We'll put the text up here on the screen. Jesus he, he doesn't mince his words. He is so explicitly clear here when he says in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Gee, I wonder what Jesus could mean by that. <laughs> you know, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Get this, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Okay, hang on. Okay, now I'm remembering all this stuff that Jesus told us. Peter, do you, do you remember he said that? Do you, remember, do you remember John? He said that. In verse 13, he goes on, and this will be your opportunity to bear witness. In other words, in the face of opposition is your opportunity to say, God, use me. This will be your opportunity to pray the dangerous prayer, God, use me. Even in the face of opposition, oh God, use me. Even when my life feels unbearable, God, use me. Even if I feel like the weight is just imploding on me, God, use me. In the face of every opposition, oh God, may I see it as an opportunity to pray the prayer, God, use me. Verse 14, he says, settle it therefore in your minds. Not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I mean, how cool is that? That's so bad, eh? You know, this is just like, man, just just like, don't even sweat it. I'm going to give you the words to say that no one, nothing can stand against it. You see, when we pray God use us, he actually uses us. He goes on and he says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
I hope you guys are seeing, catching how this is a dangerous prayer. Oh, God, when, when I pray, use me, I know this is going to be my reality. This is what I'm stepping into. But then listen to this. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Another translation says that last verse this way. Stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm. Don't waver. Don't abort the mission. The mission's clear. Stay with it. Know that the opposition is coming. And when you do, you will win life. Which leads me to my third and final point. Let me unpack this and then we'll go to the communion table. When God uses us, victory is inevitable. When God uses us, victory is inevitable. Though opposition is certain, church, you gotta know, you gotta have the faith to believe that victory is inevitable. And victory is inevitable because when God uses us, we win at life. When God uses us, not a hair on our head perishes. Remember what happened with these disciples when they prayed this, this dangerous prayer, God, use us? He did just that. In the, in the last verse that we looked at in today's passage, in verse 31, it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all what? Number one, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and number two, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness the mission was clear church oh god grant us the ability to continue to preach your word with all boldness opposition was certain oh god i see the threats so now god we're just asking that you see the threats look upon the threats but then god uses us and he gives us the victory the holy spirit filled the disciples and they continued to go out and speak the word of god with boldness church you know what the world needs more of? The world needs more of Holy Spirit-filled people who are crystal clear on their mission, who are not in the least bit rattled by opposition that they know is coming in the first place, but who are rather ready to cling to the victory that is only in Christ Jesus, who are ready to storm the gates of hell, praying, God, use me here today in whatever ways that might look like. The world doesn't need more people with Bible knowledge, trained seminarians, and, you know, like I've gone through seminary, nothing against seminary, but, but the, the Bible, you don't need any of that to be on mission with Jesus. All you need is an Isaiah spirit that says, here I am. Send me. I'll do it. I'll go for you, Jesus. I'll go for you, Lord. I'll do it in your name. Holy Spirit-filled people who are crystal clear on their mission, who's not rattled by opposition, who know their victory is in Christ Jesus. And now for some of us, that might mean God using us. You pray, God, use me. For you, that might mean, I don't know, maybe he might call you to share your faith with that one friend you were nervous about sharing your faith all semester, all year about. Maybe, maybe, maybe today is the day, maybe this week is the week, maybe this semester is the semester where God uses you to help someone cross over from the line of death into the line of life. Maybe God use me might mean that you open your mouth and you speak the word of God with all boldness. I don't know. Maybe for you, when you pray, God, use me, maybe it's God is equipping you and getting you ready to fulfill a dream that God has planted in you, a seed that he's planted in you long ago. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's to start a ministry here on campus. 
Maybe that's, to, maybe that's to have the boldness and the courage to start something new that, that everyone would say, no, that's not going to work. That's crazy. Maybe God used me means that today you, you stand up and say, God, could it be that, that the seed that you planted, you're actually wanting to see some stuff come out of that. God, use me. Use me. And still yet for some of us, God using us might mean some of us going into vocational ministry. Some of you guys are here. We, we, had a, we had a student here a couple of years ago. He was an ag science major. And he's like, Dan, I don't know what I'm doing in ag science. I have zero care for ag science. I just feel like God's calling me to ministry. He, he, he said, he would say, um, I, I am a full-time ACFer and a part-time Penn Stater. I just, I'm kind of here as a student, but I really, I have a heart for the church. So, so he's in seminary right now. He's f- finishing up his time. And, and, and by God's grace, he's going to be led into some, some place where he can partner with God and what God is doing here on earth. And so, again, it doesn't matter what your occupation is. You can be on mission for Jesus. But still, for some of you, your occupation is going to be serving as a missionary somewhere across halfway around the world. For some of you, your occupation is going to be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> Pastoring a church, preaching the word of God somewhere. For some of you, it might be planting a church. Some of you are like, I, I've never even thought about it. I don't even know what planting a church means. Alan is here, talk to him. If you have a sense, if you feel like God's stirring in your heart that says, maybe God could be calling me to this. Maybe you are the church planner. Maybe you're part of the church planting team. I don't know. But the fact is, when God uses us, whatever that might look like, just know that when God uses us, God will use you to advance his purposes, his plans, his kingdom. And when he does, your mission will become undeniably clear. There won't even be a sense of like, gee, I wonder what I'm supposed to do with my life. It'll just be clear. Now, your vocation, your job, your career, yeah, that's going to all work itself out as you, as you seek some discernment from wise counsel from other people and as you seek the will of God. But the big M mission, not the small mission of your life, but the big M mission, the great commission that lines up with that, that is to partner with God and what he is. You're not going to question that. That's going to be like, that's just a no-brainer. Now the question is, how do I do that in my field? How do I fulfill the Great Commission in my industry? How do I do that partnering, that whole partnering with God thing? How do I do that as a school teacher? How do I do that as an engineer? How do I do that in my little cubicle? How do I do that behind a computer screen? When God uses you, opposition will be certain. But don't lose heart because you will win at life. When God uses you, victory is inevitable. Inevitable. 